Welcome to the Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Get Heard podcast. I'm your host, Ian Roth, and today's guest is Nelson Turiano, and it's actually a really cool and unique episode where Nelson discusses describing and communicating unfamiliar terms to an industry that is very familiar to him. And listening to the episode, you'll find out, but Nelson is a personal trainer and entrepreneur, and what he does and what his niche is, is communicating and teaching business concepts to personal trainers, a demographic who oftentimes does not have a lot of business experience and is very just ignorant to how to run a business. You know, they're just more focused on personal training, getting people healthy and, you know, honing in on their craft, but often overlook the things necessary to run a successful business. So hope you enjoy today's episode with Nelson Toriano. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Get Heard podcast. My guest tonight is the founder and CEO of Coach Nelly Toriano LLC, where he helps personal trainers with their accounting, finance, all that not so sexy aspect of personal training. And his name is Mr. Nelson Toriano. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I didn't mention that you're also an author. Is that correct? That is correct. Can you tell me and can you tell the audience a little bit about your book? Absolutely. So the book was inspired by, well, I'm a personal trainer by trade, but I actually come from the business background. Um, so I wrote this book in an effort to make a difference within the personal training industry. And it's an industry that I've been always passionate about and, and, and I've always been training clients and I'm an active guy. Um, how it had actually started was I'm based here out of Silicon Valley. That's uh, San Francisco Bay Area, California. Um, and it's the mecca for tech. And it's the mecca for business. So we have a very high cost of living. But I mean, you hear about us in the newspapers all the time. So I'm born and raised here. And when you work, when you live here, you end up falling into tech. Um, you end up talking to a lot of different departments, uh, advertising and marketing and sales, finance, venture capital, et cetera, et cetera. But my side hustle, my passion was always in fitness. So for about 15 years, uh, going almost about 18 now, um, I've been training clients and, and, and uh, weightlifting and teaching group fitness. And around my late 20s, I got into one of those emotional states where I was sitting behind my cubicle, in my cubicle, sitting behind my Excel spreadsheet and realizing, you know, I don't know if I want to keep doing this anymore. I, I got in one of those emotional states. So the opportunity came up and I switched gears altogether. I jumped and I pursued fitness full time. Um, when I entered in the fitness world, I realized, well, I realized beforehand, but uh, the income level that you earn in fitness is significantly different than the income level that you were earning in tech. So it took me about a year to get back on my um, normal income level, the one that I was used to earning in tech. Um, but the harshest realities was watching my coworkers. So my coworkers who did not come from any business background, any type of financial background, um, they were the ones that were quitting. They were the ones leaving the industry. They were, they had to relocate out of Silicon Valley because like I said, the cost of living is really high. Now I come from a business background. I know how to speak to all different types of people. I know how to talk to all different types of clients, but I also have this, a business savviness that 
I was able to get my feet back on the ground. I don't have to relocate. So this is where the inspiration for my book came about was in the industry and in the fitness industry, the typical education is anatomy and physiology. And then the personal trainer learns how to do sales and marketing. But the personal trainer is not necessarily taught what what to do with the sales revenue thereafter. So they're not reinvesting themselves. They're having a challenging time paying their rent or their student loans. So I felt it was my social responsibility to compile something and literally translate a lot of business concepts like the business business life cycle, the product life cycle, um, compounded interests, all the cash, all the financial statements um, into fitness terms because that's a missing in my industry. And so really it was my passion piece and it was my unique contribution to the industry. Um, I really had my coworkers in mind, but um, across the board, I've been networking and a lot of personal trainers just don't know what to do in order to get from revenue to a substantial, uh, sustainable income level. So I intend to make a difference and this is how the book came about. No, that's such an awesome story. And I mean, it's so cool how you're able to pivot from sitting behind a cubicle and, you know, I know how that feels very, very well. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners can sympathize with that feeling. So kind of pivoting from doing that into what you're really passionate about and then finding a niche in that industry, in the fitness industry and leveraging your business background, mixing it with your passion and fitness and being able to deliver that kind of a, a product to your audience. That's just awesome. Yes. Thank you so much. It was, it was really important. And, um, in the whole writing process, if any listeners are even considering about considering writing a book, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's pretty challenging. Uh, I went through a lot of drafts and luckily my editor was, uh, in a, in, in that previous job, she was one of our head content writers. So she has a writing background. Her communication style is very different from mine, but I trusted her. She doesn't come with a fitness background. So she would be, she was serving as my example of what, you know, a, just an average non-business reader would, would, would understand, right? So it was important for me to work with that perspective because she's the one who trained me in my communication style. When I was writing the book, I... I know how to read Harvard business case studies. That's my background. I, I have my master's in business administration. I know how to talk to investors and again, financial people and accounting. Um, in my marketing agency, that's where I was working in tech. My particular role in account management, I had to keep switching up my communication style. So the verbiage that I was using for, let's say the accounts receivables department is definitely not the way that I needed to talk to clients who didn't understand concepts like search engine optimization. Then I had to keep switching my communication style to the engineering department who are very dry. Oh my gosh, very instructional. So in so many different capacities within my previous job, I had to be flexible enough. I had to be well-versed in what I need to communicate, but be able to cater the particular words to the intended audience. And I think that carried over, actually, no, I shouldn't say think, I, I know that talent, um, being able to translate carried over into the book writing process. When I started drafting things and putting together all these business concepts, they made sense to me and they would make sense to someone pursuing their master's in business administration. But my intended audience was definitely not business students. To make a difference, I have to translate all these real... To be honest, it's accounting. It's, it's, it's kind of boring. <laughs> so I have to translate these concepts to 
my intended audience who are more tactile in their learning. They are more pers- uh, personable. Um, they, they, they love visuals. So my editor challenged me on a whole lot of concepts to simplify the concepts, use analogies that resonate with the fitness type of mindset. So when I take the concepts of cash, you know, cash going into a business, cash going out, it's similar to like calories coming in and calories going out. And I had to be very cognizant of who's actually reading in. On top of that, on top of that, my intended audience specifically was 18 to 25 year olds. So they don't necessarily have the mature verbiage when it comes to business because they just don't have that much work experience either. So it's almost every single page. My editor was challenging me on my communication style and my writing style. This is, she kept reassuring, I know you know the concepts, but you have to be mindful that these concepts need to land with the audience. So that was a learning curve all on its own. Definitely. I like how, like your example, cash in, cash out, you know, that's a good way to compare something in the business industry to something in the fitness industry, something that personal trainers would understand to maybe an accounting concept, probably in the simplest terms here. So I think that's really awesome. What were some other techniques or things that you did to communicate those unfamiliar or foreign terms to this new audience, you know, communicating those business terms to these personal trainers that, that worked out for you? Good question. So I had to, I have to know my industry. So I know the tech industry very, very well. Um, And by the time that I was writing my book, I had been in the fitness industry, well, part-time for almost about 12 to 13 years, um, but full-time about five years. I'm I'm kind of losing track of all all these numbers. Um, But in essence, I know the industry well. So I not only know how to use the language, and the verbiage, but I know the real examples that I can use. So when I was making analogies in terms of investments, let's say that that person is considering um, the retirement and they don't understand the concepts of 401ks or mutual funds and how the whole stock market worked. Well, I have to be specific and say, well, some of the companies that you have the option of investing in, Lululemon, Nike, let's go ahead and take a look at Under Armour. Let me explain to you what the company MindBody is. Now, out to the public, that company MindBody, it doesn't really resonate because it's not super, super popular. It actually went from public to private. But in the fitness world, as long as you are enveloped into fitness, you would know that specific company is a software um, that's super popular among studios, yoga studios, Pilates studios, CrossFit boxes. Um So using specific examples, real-world examples, um, that they could identify with, brands that they normally see. When I was explaining the hard concepts of financial statements, like cash flow and balance sheet and uh, net income, I had to give real examples because knowing that my audience are playing the roles in business like Hey, this person who might be reading my book might be an online coach. This person may be considering opening up her own Pilates studio, or this person may be considering branching out on her own and being an independent personal trainer doing uh, sessions in their clients' homes. So I had to be, I had to make these illustrations and these visuals within the audience's 
um, psyche so that the concepts can really resonate and go like, oh yeah, that I am considering being an independent personal trainer. So now I understand how these financial statements work because they can act, it gives them something almost tangible. I like the idea of painting a picture, I think would be a good way to say it. And, mm-hmm. and giving these examples and making what you're telling these people almost tangible. Were there, what was the overall reception from these personal trainers? You know, people with, I'm sure most of them had no business experience, but were most of them receptive? Were there some who resisted? Were there some that just could not see the picture you were trying to paint for them? Great question. So that is actually a challenge. Let's talk about the challenges in communication. <laughs> Let's talk about the, some of the, the hard things. So um, to make, so the product that I'm selling is education. In, in, in the fitness world, it's really hard to go on Instagram and sell like, hey, I have a book. Really in the fitness world, in the personal training world, sex sells, I'll be honest. So you'll go onto social media and you'll see a lot of guys with their shirts off and a lot of women's butts. And just the the body is what sells a certain product. So you'll see that in all these brands, but I'm coming from a totally different perspective of education. So I had to really strategize how am I going to deliver my message? So my book is in paperback, in ebook, as well as audio. So three different formats catering to three somewhat different, um, or at least two different ways of learning. Okay. Now with that said, when I'm talking about my message to personal trainers, I offer them a book, I get a lot of courteous head nods. Hey, it's an accomplishment, Nelson. Great job. You know, maybe one day I'm going to be writing a book, but for the most part, I mean, a lot of people just don't read books, right? I might have a couple people. I've actually, I I looked at my reports and a couple more people, (laughs) Um, than average, downloaded the the audio format. So that ends up being um, a little bit, people end up being a little bit more receptive because they took the time to listen to it. Plus the time invested into an audiobook is only, I, I want to say my audiobook is about three and a half hours. So significantly less than, less than um, a paperback or ebook. So right now it is, that message has to be delivered uh, verbally. So I get, get into communication with uh, one-on-one coaching. Um, I take people on, I take uh, mentees and I've been reaching out directly to people on LinkedIn. Um, A lot of new and future personal trainers who want to get into the business or they don't know where to begin. uh, Speaking engagements end up being a little bit more effective because now I can actually uh, not only present my book, but I have PowerPoint presentations. Um, I can guide the the kinesiology student, for example, through examples um, like a this is how you calculate your federal income uh, taxes. Um, and that blows them, blows their mind. And when I did a presentation at the University of San Francisco to the Kinesiology Student Association, it was a one hour uh, that was very well spent um, because I, they actually understood by the end of that hour how money works within our industry. So... Um, the messaging is important. The delivery, I had to do, the most effective delivery is going to be verbal. So I found the most um, valuable way to talk to my audience was things like this, podcasts, um, in-person interviews, one-on-one coaching, presentations. And that's when the concepts, business concepts actually um, click in their head. And I can see and I get that uh, visual feedback in their faces. Um, they're super, super attentive. Yeah. So, 
um, verbal communication ends up being more effective if you're talking about business stuff. Definitely. I want to, I want to hit you up on, you said you did some speaking engagements. Is that right? Yes. So what, uh, I think just as a, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure that is extremely, extremely effective for getting yourself out there, brand awareness for what you're doing. So besides the, uh, kinesiology association, what other types of audiences have you spoken to so far? Uh, a lot of them have to, so general kinesiology students. So I was with the student association and then trying to get into other departments that are related. So there's the sports management department. There's going to be anatomy classes. Um, I was talking to also career development people when it comes to the university. So, so in terms of education, I was, co I was being coached by someone who has been doing this. You kind of have to go a roundabout way in order to get into the university. So making connections with the career development and uh, uh, staff, as well as, you know, the deans, as well as the um, professors themselves, you end up, I end up speaking to classes specifically. Um, so there's the sports management teams, there's going to be some sports teams, and there's going to be a lot of niches within the fitness industry. So I was talking to some yoga students, I was talking to some weightlifting communities. Um, there's all these subcultures within fitness, and all of these cliques, I don't know what a, a better word is, communities, I should say, um, that are still attentive to the concepts, because when they are within those communities, those communities there's always going to be like one or two or three people who want to take that passion that they have for fitness and turn it into a business. So you'll always find that one or two people within those communities. That's great. And from those people you've spoken with, or maybe if a couple of people have come up to you after you've spoken, have any of those folks turned into, you know, are you mentoring any of those folks or have they got your book or are you working with them? Yes, several. Um, so right now, it, it runs the gamut. Uh, some of them are still undergraduate. Some of them just graduated. And not, and all of the people that I'm working with, all of the people that I'm coaching, not one of them have the same goals. Uh, and that's, that's honestly, in my opinion, that's really refreshing because they see that within the fitness industry, there's so many different career paths that my concepts actually stuck and could be applied no matter what that person's true passion is. So one of the people who I'm coaching with, one of her biggest smart goals is just trying to complete her degree, but she's in a situation of balancing out finances. And what she and I established was um, going to school part-time and working part-time. This is what's going to take her from point A to point B, and then she'll get there with her um, uh, degree, but she'll also be a bona fide personal trainer at the same time. It just works with her time frame. There's another person who wants to go into event planning. There's another person who um, is thinking about just launching his own PT business and delivering services within clients' homes, and he's based out of San Francisco. Um, and when I was making a presentation, he was the one who stuck out of my mind because when I was walking to my car, he was the one who actually kind of chased me down and I had a bunch of more questions about limited liability corporations and risk management and asset protection. And so... It's kind of funny when I'm talking to a, a younger generation, um, I, they, they're, they're very wide-eyed in my, in my intended audiences. So I could tell that either the information is information overload, but I could tell that there's an interest because no one's ever talked to them about this. No one ever actually held their hand and said, hey, this is going to be important. I 
generally feel that what is ineffective in a lot of people's communication when they're actually trying to teach a concept is coming from a place where you should know this or how come you don't know this? It's almost belittling. But the audience is, is so attentive and so appreciative. If you come from a, a, a position of, hey, I genuinely want to help you, let me explain it to you. And let me, you know what? Let me take time out of this one hour that we have together and go even slower to make sure that these concepts resonate with you. That generosity and coming from that mindset resonated and has turned several people into uh, one-on-one coaching sessions with me. That means a lot to me. And that means a lot to that person. That's phenomenal, Nelson. I, I like how you said, you know, when you're putting the information out to these young people that you just see the wide eyes looking back at you because, I mean, I remember being that age, you don't know what you don't know about life and especially business at that point. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I I had to take a break from Facebook, to be honest, because it's... Um, there's when we're always talking about the differences between generations like the Gen X's versus Gen Z and then the millennials and I'm technically in between. So I'm a Zennial. Um, there's a lot of misunderstandings. And I think that in communication, we, we, we all deserve to be a little bit kinder because we want to be spoken to with, with compassion and empathy that a lot of these concepts are really generally hard to understand. So when I'm talking to my intended audience, I really, I, I make a conscious effort to make sure that, Hey, I, I understand what you're going through and I want to alleviate a lot of that worry because part of the, I could tell in their faces, especially, especially when I brought up the topic of, Hey, you undergraduates, you guys are going to be graduating pretty soon. You're going to have your student loan. And I know one of their top priorities is not only trying to find a substantial, sustainable career, but also things like avoiding moving back in with your parents <laughs> and you do want to pay off your student loan. So emotionally, I understand where they're coming from. Um, so I'm trying to do two things. One, kind of be like their pseudo therapist, but two, also explain to them, this is how, this is how your money is going to work. And this is, this is how you can uh, confidently speak uh, to anyone what your plans are. No, having that empathy with those young students is huge. And I mean, empathy just in general as a leader or in any sort of coaching scenario, it pays you absolutely huge dividends that will differentiate someone from being a mediocre leader to being an exceptional, outstanding leader. So sounds like you are able to empathize and really connect with these young students. And that, that's awesome because before they know it, they'll be graduating, walking across that stage and thrown out into the real world. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes with that generation, I remember when I was graduated undergraduate degree, I was, I had one, one professor I looked up to and I think I was panicking so hard that I didn't even know like the day right after graduation, what am I going to do? I don't have a job lined up. No one talked to me about anything. I was just going through this whole structure that was college and suddenly I'm in the real world. And if I could go back in time, I, I wish someone had offered a lending hand and walked me through, this is exactly what is going to happen a how to read your paycheck. This is what taxes mean. And I would even go as far as um, explaining what's going to be happening in the economy for <laughs> the next several years. So I really want to um, reach out to uh, my intended audience and, and kind of explain everything that I wish someone explained to me back then. Definitely. I remember what that feeling was. And I, geez, I can't believe that's over 10 years ago now. And I didn't know anything about anything. So yeah, I definitely empathize with that too. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But I wanted to go into a little more detail about, you know, the speaking that you're doing for these groups. I would think with your business background and the message that you want to put out to these organizations, you're very intentional and and direct and put a lot of thought into the planning of what you're going to say during these speaking engagements. So could you kind of walk me through your your planning process before you're going to deliver a a speech or a presentation to a group? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the benefits about starting off is I do have enough time to do a lot of research about my intended audience and my niche is so small that a lot of the concepts and a lot of the um, examples that I can use uh, tend to overlap with different audiences. So if I'm talking to a group of weightlifters or I'm talking to a group of yoga people or if I'm talking to a group of future physical therapists who are not necessarily personal trainers, the language that I can use um, still overlaps where I have to still have to make a lot of analogies in terms of anatomy and physiology. Um, the lines of businesses that they intend to proceed with after college or um any type of career opportunities are somewhat similar. They're going to be entering in the fitness industry. So a lot of them end up being things like corporate wellness or sports. So again, in terms of um, time preparation, it ends up being a little efficient because I can actually repurpose some, some concepts. Now, also in the intended audience, especially with that age demographic, they tend to share a lot of the top concerns. So when I'm, I don't need to redraft um, a whole brand new presentation because what during that age in that age group, a lot of them are just pretty much concerned about how to find a job, uh, how to become independent, um, and then I'll also add on to the presentation what I think that they should know. So concepts of how to calculate um, your federal income tax and how to pay down your bad debts with your student loan because that's a common thing, right? Um, so I have my general template and structure of a skeleton of a presentation also. I do leave a substantial amount of time though at the end for Q&A because again, these concepts, you don't they don't resonate on the first time. I really have to do a good job at repeating these concepts throughout the uh, time that I have with them. But I make it a point for the last, I want to say 20 minutes of the presentation, that's a long time, um, for Q&A, but also for um, uh, two exercises. So the first one, I guide them how to calculate the federal income tax. And then the second one, um, it's kind of a, a, a choice, an option that will um, be catered to that specific audience. So I'm talking to a lot of people who have an intention of being a business owner. We go through an exercise of these are the steps of how to develop a, an LLC. This is what it means for asset protection. Um, so giving a lot of time to not only do the lecture component, but also giving them enough time to cater to a different le uh, learning style. So giving them something tangible to work with. I ask them to pull out their phones, uh, pull up the calculator app. We're going to go do some math. Because I know that if I just tell you these are the your uh, uh, tax brackets, um, it's not going to resonate. But if I put an example paycheck in my PowerPoint presentation and I ask you how to calculate the 8% that goes into Social Security and Medicare and you have your phone, we're going to go through some exercises and this concept is definitely going to stick. Um, so I don't necessarily have to rehash the whole presentation. I do have to cater it. Um, Preparation, though, I would say my time um, that is invested heavily is just doing a lot of research about um, the particular audience, how they talk, what, uh, how they behave, their whole psyche. 
the way I speak to people who are tuned to yoga, for example, um, softer, <laughs> maybe a little bit slower, a little bit nicer. But if I'm talking to a bunch of athletic type of people um, into sports, I can talk like this, a little bit more terse and um, making sure my tonality, making sure the way I carry myself matches the audience also. I think that's awesome that you leave about 20 minutes. I would think if it's a 60 minute presentation, that's the case. So about a third of your presentation for questions. And I'm sure over the course of giving speeches and presentations, you've probably seen some of the same questions come up over and over again. So you're able to take those questions, do further research on those questions and topics, and then incorporate those into your pre presentations next time. Absolutely. And I love the Q&A portion. One, it keeps me on my feet. Two, it's almost like market research because you're right. They ask me questions that reflect their demographic um, and what's going to be their top priority. So the, the next time that I talk to someone of a similar demographic, a group of a similar demographic, I can just go back into uh, my original presentation and insert a blurb here or there that will an essentially answer the question before it's even asked. Um, so it's the presentation ends up being a living document and I can, co it constantly evolves with more and more information that I'm actually getting from the audience themselves. That's awesome. It just keeps you, you know, making you a better coach because you're just having all those touch points and, and your audience and your target market is telling you what they want to know. And then you're able to provide that for them. That's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. It ends up being more valuable over time. The first presentation was, you know, you kind of, you, you do your best. Um, and it's kind of like this experiment slash market research slash teaching. It's a, it, you just kind of <laughs> hope for the best that it's effective and, um, you get your feedback and some of it's positive, some of it's constructive. Um, but it, for any, any listeners who, who is entering a similar field, just know it takes patience and you just have to keep putting yourself out there. And it's a whole learning process for you, the whole craft that is presentation. And it gets more valuable over time. It gets better. Definitely. Do you still get nervous or do you, have you ever gotten nervous before you talk to a group of uh, people? Oh, absolutely. I remember one presentation. I was, I, I was probably one of my first presentations. Um, they weren't clear with what type of setup that I was going to be at. So I ended up being on this in the gymnasium. There was the gymnasium. It, the room that I was in was the snack bar right above the swimming pool, the athletic swimming pool. So there was a lot of noise. Um, so they had to, uh, they, they had to do a bunch of stuff. So my start time was actually being delayed because they had to, they, they were spent about like 10 minutes just trying to fix the projector. So I had nothing to do. <laughs> and I was just going around talking to people and they had no idea who I was. I, uh, this, and I'm almost in my forties and I'm talking to all of these college students and yet we have no background or relatedness. That's what makes me, um, that's what made me nervous. Once I get up there and I start talking, uh, I'm a little bit more comfortable in my own skin, but just kind of um, being prepared for the unexpected, that makes me nervous. And that it, the unexpected could be anything, anywhere, at any time. Definitely keeping that poise and, and a cool head, I'm sure, kind of saved you 
more than once, especially in that situation. Yeah. And especially with the time uh, now that I have less than 60 minutes, um, hitting my in my head, I had to keep readjusting the concepts to making sure that I hit the most valuable talking points and then looking at the clock and making sure that I'm pacing correctly. So um, I'm not going to lie. I was sweating a little bit because <laughs> it's a, it's, it's almost like dancing in front of people. You have to be very charismatic, but you have to be very diligent and, t- um, intentional, um, and, uh, again, empathetic and, and cognizant about your surroundings as well as the audience's faces and making sure that the words that you choose are the appropriate ones that resonate, um, and always being, uh, setting in, in, uh, purpose to offer value to the, to the audience. A lot's going on in my head. Definitely. And the hard part is just getting it out in a somewhat organized way. I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Staying organized and making sure the words that come out are comprehensible. And um, you actually just make, simply put, you make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Making sense is definitely essential. And I can't tell you, it sounds so common sense, but I can't tell you how many people I've seen get up in front of a group and I just like, I'm looking around the room and other people who are looking back at me and we're just like, what the heck is this dude saying? Like, yeah. No idea. Yeah. And it's so painful and I work really hard not to be that person, <laughs> but I know it's going to happen at some point, <laughs> but eh, tis the career, tis the life. <laughs> yes, definitely. But uh, just kind of two more questions, one related to communication and one related to fitness. But if you could give any advice to you know, a young up and coming leader, entrepreneur, someone who whose livelihood or job relies on effective communication or speaking in front of people, what, what advice would you give that person that you maybe you wish you knew five, 10 years ago? I, it doesn't matter how smart you are on a topic. So much about communication, so much just relies on you being authentic. Um, I do not have the same communication style like other people within the fitness industry, nor do I have the same communication style in terms of business. Um, And putting myself out there and basically training myself to be confident. I wasn't confident to begin with. Absolutely not. I had to deal with imposter syndrome. I still deal with it. Um, Thinking that I'm not good enough in the fitness industry, thinking I'm not good enough in business altogether. But it's constant everyday training to keep talking, to develop my dexterity in this, uh, to develop my confidence. But I know the topics, but what makes me different that I know resonates with a whole lot of people is just being confident in myself that I have, uh, that I have told myself the affirm. I believe my affirmations. Um, I am a great person. I'm a great talker, and, but it's just being true to my own personal style and being authentic. I laugh a lot. I crack jokes and I want to make people comfortable. Um, so if I could go back and talk to someone like me when I was younger or any of the listeners, um, be authentic, uh, blemishes and all, flaws and all. There's you're gonna stumble upon words, but embrace it because that's who that that's you, and you should embrace yourself. Love how you said be authentic. There's only one you. Embrace yourself, and authenticity is what really matters. Absolutely, people are drawn to that, and they remember that. Then they'll remember the concepts. <laughs> Okay. And my last question, which is more in the fitness related industry. So you said sex is what sells and all those sexy pictures of the guys with their shirts off or 
stuff along those lines. I'll leave it there. Yeah. So if I want to look like one of those guys with the shirts off with like a killer six pack, what are like three good core or ab exercises that you should tell me to do that I can tell the listeners to do to get to that level? It will always, always start with the plank. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Get good at the plank. Okay. Let's talk about the plank first. So press your forearms right into the ground and it is a constant push. So your shoulders, the scapula has to be pulled apart just a little bit. Now, what a lot of people think about the, the, the plank is just, oh, I'm just going to do this for abs. No, man, it is full body. So there needs to be tension, not just within the belly. You're going to feel it in your upper back. You're going to feel it in your glute. That's still part of your core. You've got to tense up your thighs and take the heels and actually Push your heels to the back wall so you're making your body long. So not only are you pushing your body against gravity and against the ground, you are intentionally trying to make your body longer than what it really is. That's an effective plank. So um, if you want a well-defined, stable body that includes a six-pack, it's going to require you to develop a strong core. And the plank is probably the most effective exercise for that. There's always going to be a bunch of crunches. But I found um, kettlebell training. So it's you could do a billion different exercises on your back, but I know, you know, and everyone knows that, you know, lying down in between sets, we can take that break just a little bit longer than usual because we're lying down. Up for kettlebell training. A proper kettlebell swing is also full body. So what people forget is that you can't isolate losing fat from one particular part of your body. I'll get clients like grabbing their sides and what we call the tire around their waist, their love handles and say, how do I get rid of this? Well, you can't lose it in one spot. You lose it throughout your entire body, which makes exercises that are full body a little bit more attractive and more efficient for you. So perfect the kettlebell swing because it will not only require a strong core, it's going to require strong back muscles, it's going to require a proper hip hinge and your glute. So you end up burning a lot of more fat faster so that you can achieve that desirable look that you were getting going for a little bit more efficiently. Kettlebell training. The other one also is barbell training. Along the same lines as kettlebell, understand how to do your proper squat, uh, deadlifts, military presses, but any of the barbell exercises, again, you have to think of it in the sense of full body. So let's say that you're doing a proper deadlift. It will require nice stretched out uh, hamstrings, back engagement. Your belly has to be brought in, but the um, your belly has to be brought in, but pushed out to the left and right. And it's a very I have to put place my hands on my clients to, to teach them how to properly engage the core. So by combining barbell, the plank, and uh, kettlebell training, um, you just those three concepts right there, everything I just described was a full body workout, all of that. So if you want that six pack, go for the most comprehensive exercises. Awesome. And I know I hate the plank so much, but like you said, it is such a good exercise and I do need to make myself do it more. So yep. thank you for calling me out and all you podcast <laughs> listeners out there, man. I need to be doing more planks. So thank you, Nelson, for holding me accountable for that. But uh, hey, I absolutely appreciate you coming on the show. You just gave such an awesome perspective of communicating kind of abstract concepts from one industry and bringing them into the other industry. Where can the listeners find you out online? And more importantly, where can they find your book and buy your book? 
Yes. So my book is called For the Fit But Poor Personal Trainer, A Guide on How to Train Money, Not Muscle, to Grow. And it's available in a paperback, ebook, as well as um, audio via Amazon. So go ahead and check it out there. You can visit my website, coachnellitoriano.com. Come visit me. Um, I got um, my Instagram is linked through there. Also, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at, at Coach Nelly Toriano. Um, I'm more active on LinkedIn than I am on Facebook. Uh, so follow me on LinkedIn. My proper name is Nelson E. Toriano. Awesome, Nelson. Well, thanks again so much for being on the show. And I really loved our conversation and can't wait for our listeners to hear it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Get Heard Podcast. Make sure to visit my website at www.getheardpodcast.com. When you're there, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or just directly go to the RSS feed to make sure that you never miss a show. Again, thank you so much for your constant support in listening to the show. It would mean the world to me if when on the iTunes podcast listener, you could leave me a review so that I can help spread the message for this show and get it out to more people. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.